Church Dads podcast. Join Mark Hawes and Curtis Keddy as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Hello, listening world. This is uh, Mark Haas, joined by co-pilot Curtis Ketty. Roger that. It's good to have you. It's good to have you for Church Dads, a new podcast that will be airing monthly, once a month, about an hour show, and we'll be talking about all things church, liturgy, fatherhood, current events, books, music, um, and if you're lucky, Curtis, maybe a little Star Trek. I sure hope so. Would be great. So we're glad to have you, and um, if you want to be a part of this, we're hoping you will be, um, not just by follows and likes and all those those things, but actually being involved via questions and comments. You can reach us at churchdadspodcast at gmail dot com, or if you're a Facebook type, you can go to facebook dot com slash churchdadspodcast. So there you have it, Curtis. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm ready. <clears throat> yeah, good. How's the Midwest? <clears throat> the Midwest, yeah. I'm here in Kansas, northeastern Kansas, and we love it here in Kansas. It's a little hot. It's a little humid right now, but uh, beautiful, rural, uh, wonderful place. Love it. Good. For those of you who don't know, Curtis is... Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Curtis, so why don't you just tell us who you are, what do you do, and what the heck are you doing on a podcast? Yeah, you know, I ask myself that question sometimes. Um, my name is Curtis Ketty. I uh, work at a church in Kansas called St. John Paul II. I'm the director of parish faith formation, so I oversee all of the religious education and sacrament preparation, and we're very much focused on family formation and equipping parents. Um, But uh, originally, I was working as a director of faith formation in California, Southern California, at St. Martin de Porres Catholic Church, which is where I met Mark. Yeah, I think it was a fall of 2013 that we were looking for a music director, and his name was on our list. And I was selfishly very interested in Mark because... I had um, just been married for a couple years to Amy, and um, we were expecting our first child, our son, William, and here was Mark and his wife, Renee, and they were expecting their first, and that began a long, great relationship with the Haases because we had three children um, almost in parallel with each other, and so we got to grow our family from the four of us when we first met and then to the ten of us now. So tell me wow. about tell me about yourself, Mark. What, you're right. So what you're saying it was church dad love at first sight, basically, is what you're saying. Well, now you are putting words in my mouth, but <clears throat> yes, there was some love there, some dad love. Okay, all right, TMI. No, uh, good. No, it's good to be here. Um, my name is Mark Haas. I am currently the director of uh, music and youth ministries at a parish called Blessed Sacrament uh, Catholic Church in South Charleston, West Virginia. So we're, you know, we're a parish of about 500 families, not overly large, but um, good faithful people. And um, 
you know, as far as my duties, it's a lot of music and liturgy and a lot of youth ministry, mostly high school, but also middle school as well. Uh, dipping the toe into confirmation, but I don't want to get too wet with that. Uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, but no, uh, pretty much all around. We're a small parish staff of four full-time, if, even if you count the pastors. So it's a nice little family we have here. And um, So wait a second. So you're know. not in the same state as me? We're not in the same room right now? We are not. You're not even in the same West time Virginia, zone as me. I am not. You are in the past, my friend. Mm. Uh that's right. You are one hour behind. To so. be but no, in we uh, that's that's right. We were in uh, Southern California for a while at St. Martin de Porres, um, beautiful parish, um, inside and out. So um, we miss it a lot too, and not just the weather, but the people. So shout out to them for sure. And so yes, but we met as church dads, and here we are, and we we just. We reconvened for a little vacation um, in St. Louis, and there were, what, there were 10 human beings in a cabin? It was insane. It was it was intense, mm-hmm. to say the least. <laughs> they called it a vacation, I guess. I suppose it was. Like, no, it was a lot of fun. Like, the ages of my children, by the way, are mm-hmm. um, William, who's almost five, Caleb, who is almost three, and Ella, who is freshly one. So there are two people with diapers, and not one day goes by without blood-curdling screams, and that does a, that does a number on on a nervous system. Um, what about your your kids, Mark? How old are they now? I just want to add that in like fifty years, they'll probably reverse that, and you'll say there are two people in the house with diapers, and there not goes a day goes by without blood-curdling screams. <laughs> right from our children no. who has to change our diapers. That's right. <laughs> Yes, no, our oldest is Julian. He is four, almost five. Our second is Ruth, and she is two. And our youngest is Josephine. She is six months. Woo! So, yeah. Yep, that was not, anyway. uh, that was not a calm vacation with the Hosses. Not at no, all. That's right. Not calm. But yeah, the short story is we are buddies and we thought we had some insight to offer and kind of a unique show that I don't think is out there. That's sort of a a churchy dad uh, show. So Right, and particularly dads with young kids who live in that sort of jungle of chaos and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how yep. you know, how to live out a faithful Christian life and lead a family. Yep. It's, That's actually why I'm here right now. It's just easier to be here right now with you, Curtis. <laughs> yes, it's there's nobody screaming right now. Maybe I know. maybe great. some of our listeners are by now. I don't know, but there's no screaming where I am. Yep. All right. So let's. Um, yeah, I tell you what. We'll take a short little break here, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about being a dad today. Why is it important? Uh, we have an interesting interview we're going to talk – I'm sorry. We have an interesting uh, interview that we saw recently on EWTN that I thought was great, which we're going to talk about. And later, we're even going to go into the family as a domestic church, and we're going to even take some questions and attempt to answer them. So stick with us. We will be back. This is Church Dads. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast.com at gmail.com Follow the dads at facebook.com slash 
Church Dads Podcast. Be a part of a revolution to empower the Christian family. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Okay, good to have you back. We are uh, Church Dads, and we wanted to talk with you today. Uh, I guess you could call the theme for today's show just kind of fatherhood in general, being a dad, and more specifically right now, being a dad today. Uh, why is it important? Why are dads important? What is the role of the father? Um, what would the church have to say about it? What does the good book have to say about it? And let, we'll just preface by saying that, um, I don't know, in a way, I still feel a little bit underqualified to hold a small child in my hands, <laughs> but, but we do the best we can. Um, but no, Curtis, your thoughts. <clears throat> well, yeah, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about being a dad because I feel like such an inadequate dad myself. <laughs> but I guess it's always something that you're trying to grow into and become better at. And, you know, thank God that he's given us, you know, the Holy Spirit and the Scripture and the Church um, to show us what it really means to be a father. Because ultimately, our fatherhood and our parenthood, you know, comes from him. We are participating in his parenthood in his fatherhood. Um, and one verse that always sticks out to me when I think about the role of a parent and the role of a family is um, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so the very fact that we can look at, you know, our wife and our kids and our family and call that a family is because of God and who he is in his family of the, you know, the blessed trinity, that, you know, that life, that community. And that, you know, calling our family a family and me a father, you know, is a participation. I'm not doing something new. I'm joining in with something that's already happening, which is a constant theme in our faith. So, um, the Catechism says, the divine fatherhood is the source of human fatherhood. And uh, so, I mean, in, in a way, that actually makes me feel even more intimidated. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, no oh, you know, I'm just an icon of the Heavenly Father to my children. You know, they're learning about God for good or for ill, you know, either, you know, truthfully or with lots of error built in. They're learning about God through how I behave how I treat them. They're learning about what a father is. You know, parents are cooperating with the love of God. We are, we are the face of God to our children. So, um, but that, because of that, because of that, and this is where I get encouraged, you know, God does not leave us abandoned to just try to figure out how to be parents. You know, there's so much that he gives us, you know, through the church, through the sacraments, through the scripture, so much that he gives us so that we can live up to what it means to be a parent, what it means to, you know, share the gospel through our actions, through our words with our children. Um, so, yeah, fatherhood is, is, is incredibly mysterious and essential and important. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you look at the God revealing his covenant to his people over time, it's almost always around, yes, a family, but even even more specific, like around um, a husband and wife, right? Like a, a marriage, 
Okay, so the, the original people, um, Adam and Eve, it's, it starts with a marriage and it kind of grows from there. And you could, um, you could almost say that God's revealing his covenant plan through the family in a way. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Because what is a family except for uh, a scattered group becoming one, becoming one family? one blood. So from the very beginning, you know, Adam and Eve, because of sin, that unity was broken. And so from the very beginning, the enemy, Satan, has sought to divide family, because that has always been the goal of this unity, and unity is brought forth through family. That's the whole point of a covenant, is to bring two strangers together and make one blood, one family. So, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that is the story of our salvation, is, and it starts with the family. I mean, the church is the family of God. It's quite, it's quite incredible. And so that's why the church has looked at the family unit and said that is the domestic church, because that is uh, like a kernel of what the church actually is. You can look at the family and see the, the whole plan of salvation in action. You know, it starts with a man and a woman who are created in the image and likeness of God. You know, together we are the image and likeness of God, Amy and I. When we come together, we are one flesh, and we get to participate in creation and the, the giving of life. And then our love is shared so deeply between us, becomes so intense and so beautiful that eventually we have to give it a name. We have to call it William, and it's running around now. And the family is growing, and yet we are all one. We are the Keddy family. And so that is a beautiful icon or image of the church, you know, in the great mission of reconciliation, where Christ has come for the purpose of gathering all scattered humanity back together again, to assemble them into one people, one family of God, where we are now brothers and sisters, you know, and Christ is the firstborn, and we are part of that family, and we can call God Father. You know, we can pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. So, wow, I'm getting excited now, Mark. Please reach out to us um, and give us a comment on uh, anything you might happen to like, dislike, who knows? Church Dads Podcast at gmail.com. Facebook slash Church Dads Podcast. Beautiful reflection. Beautiful reflection. And uh, see, this is why I ask you to do podcasts with me because I, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can read off email addresses and, um, and you have this wonderful insight. Before we move on to the interview, though, you know, I did want to um, share a quotation. From one of my heroes, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, or currently Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth, who speaks about something that uh, I think is important because when we talk about parents as icons of God, um, often we can look at our own parents and feel like maybe they let us down in some way, or you know, our our image of God feels difficult to comprehend because it's so muddied by how we feel about our own parents because really that it's a, it's a profound truth you know how you experienced fatherhood growing up it's ten, it tends to be how you uh, think of god as a father and so um i want to read this quotation because it really is encouraging because at the end of the day god has given us an ultimate revelation of himself so even though um you may have had a father 
who um, was less than stellar. You know, that God has not left you abandoned. <laughs> you know, that he has revealed his face. So the quote is, um, is from a general audience that he gave on January 30th, 2013. It goes like this. It is not always easy today to talk about fatherhood, especially in the Western world. Families are broken. The workplace is ever more absorbing. Families worry and often struggle to make ends meet, and the distracting invasion of the media invades our daily life. These are some of the many factors that can stand in the way of a calm and constructive relationship between father and child. At times, communication becomes difficult. Trust is lacking, and the relationship with the father figure can become problematic. Moreover, in this way, even imagining God as a father becomes problematic without credible models of reference. Yet, the revelation in the Bible helps us to overcome these difficulties by speaking to us of a God who shows us what it really means to be father. And it is the gospel, especially which reveals to us this face of God as a father who loves, even to the point of giving his own son for humanity's salvation. So, what I like about that, and it's encouraging to me as a dad, is that, number one, you know, the fatherhood of God transcends anything that we could ever imagine in terms of its infinite love and mercy, power. But the other thing, the other thing that really encourages me as a dad who struggles every day, you know, with kids crawling all over me like ants, you know, like hanging off of me like I'm some sort of a jungle gym, and I get frustrated and I get impatient, and then I think about how God is a father. And what does his fatherhood look like? It looks like Christ on the cross, you know, totally laying down everything for the sake of his children. And that is that call, that vocation of laying down our lives as fathers, you know, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me from being discouraged. So I just wanted to throw that out there because, well, it's Benedict the Sixteenth. Come on, how can I resist? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, excellent. I was, you know, I was flipping through the other day on EWTN, and there was an interview going on uh, with Dr. Meg Meeker, and um, she was talking about fatherhood, and. Um, she and it, this was like what a week or two ago, and I thought, wow, this is exactly um, this is exactly our show. So I started to take down some notes. And this video and, is on the podcast. <clears throat> I mean, the podcast Facebook page. So if you want to pause the podcast for a moment and go to the Facebook page, watch the interview, then you can come back. And mm-hmm. you know, now we can talk yep. about it. Welcome and back. This is again. It, Welcome back. That's right. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, this was an interview, of course. Uh, it's through EWTN. Thank you, EWTN, for such um, a great segment here. But, you know, she started talking about um, a lot of points that I thought were great discussion points. For instance, she would say things like, you know, many fathers think they, uh, we, we mentioned this ourselves, many fathers think they are generally maybe not doing a good job. Or I think you said inadequate, you feel at times. Sure. Um, rightfully so. Who doesn't? She, she was talking about how boys need to see, um, you know, that they are valued in their father's eyes. Maybe all boys don't. Um, you mentioned 
um, that beautiful quote, quote from Pope Benedict as to how we might be able to get around that. Uh, but she doesn't stop with boys. I mean, she talks about how girls grow up and perhaps expect to meet and find men that they, you know, witnessed in their father, good or bad, and uh, these kind of things. So you saw the interview. Um, any particular, um, anything grab you? Well, yeah, there's a couple things. One, she mentioned, um, like, a, a question that all dads must ask themselves. And my ears, of course, perked, perked up. Because, yeah, I do struggle with being a dad. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't struggle, but I definitely struggle. I'm not used to having so many kids. I feel like three kids. It's like a thousand more than the kids, the, the family I grew up in. I just had one younger brother. Um, but the question that all dads must ask themselves is, how do my kids view me? And the answer is surprising, um, really. When we think of ourselves, we sometimes look at ourselves and we view ourselves as we would view ourselves. We don't see ourselves through our children's eyes. And through our children's eyes, we are the center of their life. We are the key to their development. You know, they look to us for their identity, to know what what they should do. You know, like we are their heroes, you know, and that's how they look at us, especially right now when they're, they're young. When they're teenagers, you know, we'll see. But like when they're young, they're looking to us and they love us. We are the center of everything. And they don't see the inadequacies. They just see dad. And um, that's something I need to remind myself. And the best way for me to do that is to think of how I see my dad, who passed away coming up 14 years ago. I was only 24 um, when he passed away. He's 47. And, you know, my dad is still my hero. And he probably felt very inadequate. I know he did because, you know, we had the same personality <laughs> for almost. So, like, but I still see him that way. And then I think, okay, now look at myself through my children's eyes. See how important I actually am. I can't dismiss my role so easily. I can't say, well, you know, what do I do? You know, I just, I'm somebody they get to play on. I'm like a portable playground. But no, it's more than that. You know, um, so that was one thing that really stood out to me. What did anything stand out to you, Mark? Um, you know, she did. She brought up some great points. Um, you know, what I thought was challenging and um, really kind of glaring. It was like, wow, um, look in the mirror, kind of stuff. As she was talking about how what kids really want in life, what they really want is simply to spend time with mom and dad. Oh, That's yeah. really all it is. Oh man. And you know, I've had to I've had to do so many things to try and get rid of all the noise of the world, you know, so like I mean, how many times are we looking at our phones and mm. social media? Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking like how many times have I checked my phone when my kids in the room, you know? Mm. And it's sort yeah. of like, oh my gosh. And 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 here all they're doing is looking to spend time with mom and dad, right? So I've done little things, you know, like there's a way that you can make your phone gray scale with no right. color in it. They, they <laughs> right. say that's one way to train your brain not Break to Break the addiction, yeah. That's right. We'll have to bring that up in another show. But there's all these little things that we... Because we've just grown up in this media culture. But she made a great point. It's like all these kids want is to spend time with mom and dad. You know, and it's so true. And, and, um, and, and we're living in this society... Oh, yeah, go ahead. We, we're, we're sort of in the society now that's, it's not really, it's not really anti-male, um, 
But, Are you sure about that? Uh, <laughs> Feels pretty anti-male to me. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what I mean. So it's it's difficult to uh, be the sort of strong father figure in today's society that, um, you know, where it seems like we have to almost apologize a lot as guys. Well, and I want to say that, you know, we've had it coming. Okay. Men have had it coming. And it's almost like we have to reclaim what true masculinity is in the first place <laughs> because the toxic masculinity that has been out there, the sort of oppressive masculinity, the like um, over-sexualized, the, the Me Too movement, all of that stuff. I mean, I think that movement is important. I think it is, it is time for men to be told, hey, what you're doing, that's not being a man. That is not being a man. That's being an animal. As you know, our, our old uh, boss, Father C, used to say, you know, it's like, you know, you need to be a man, not an animal, just following your instincts. <laughs> but, you know, you need to, a real man, you look to Christ for what a real man was. Anyways, you know, it's so true, though, that spending time with our kids. I was really struck by when she said, you know, that dads, they tend to spend, like, get their kids signed up for, like, all these extracurricular activities, sports and all this stuff, because they feel like they need to build experiences outside of the home in order to be ready for life. When, in fact, research actually shows that this is untrue, that what kids really need is face-to-face time with mom and dad in the home. And this is, by the way, one of the reasons why here at my parish, St. John Paul II, the reason I moved to Kansas is that we were trying to take faith formation from uh, away from the Sunday school classroom and put it into the home. So the parents were no longer just driving and dropping off their kids to the professionals, this outside-the-home activity, um, but we were, were trying to bring it back to the home and to equip parents to both spend time with their kids and witness the faith to them. You know, so that's that was such an amazing point. It's like, absolutely. Can we talk about how there's too many extracurricular activities now? <laughs> like kids, <laughs> kids have like 60-hour work weeks, you know, with yeah, all the stuff yeah. that they're doing. And when mm-hmm. do we sit down and eat as a, a dinner as a family? You know, when do we get to, you know, play a board game as a family? When are we praying together? Um, these are things that are totally lost now because that outside the home stuff has taken over and I'm not against it. I'm not against stuff outside the home, but man, if you're if you're lacking the essential thing, then you're you're in danger. So, love that. Absolutely. Very convicting too. Uh, yeah, looking in the mirror moment for sure. Mhm. Do you have any uh comments, questions or maybe ways that you dads or moms uh have found um things that are useful in the home, to keep things um, active in the home, to be visible to your kids. Let us know about it, churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. So we'll take a little break. This is all great stuff, Curtis. See, I knew I I called the right guy. Oh, okay. Thank you. So when we come back, we are going to talk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about uh, what the church has to say a little bit more about the domestic church or uh, the family at home. We're also going to take some questions about liturgy, which I think you'll find interesting. So stick with us. We'll be back. We will be back on the Church Dads (laughs) podcast. Like what you hear? Have a question concerning family, fatherhood, or faith? Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Be a part of the discussion as we seek to strengthen our Christian witness in the home. 
This is the Church Dads Podcast. Okay, welcome back to part three of Church Dads. And we're moving from uh, sort of uh, the societal being a dad, what it means to us, what EWTN might have had to say about it. And we're moving on to what the church might have to say about the family as um, what she would call a domestic church. And so this is the church in our very own homes, our everyday lives, and uh, literally thinking of your family as a domestic church. So Curtis, you probably, now you deal with all ages and especially faith formation. Well, yeah, of all ages, but of kids as well. I'm sure you have a thought or two on what the church might uh, deem a domestic church in the family. Yes, I do have a thought or two, Mark. I do. <laughs> I mean, this this may only be the most important thing that we can do as educators. Um, we're, we're full-time ministry workers in the church is to encourage families, to encourage parents. You know, we're, we're really in a crisis right now. Um, and a lot of people don't necessarily recognize it, but we are in a, in a huge culture shift um, within America, within the church, um, in the past, it was enough for your um, parents to be like, or your grandparents to be really faithful um, Christians, Catholics, and then you would just, even though you were detached, you would still bring your kids, you would bring them for baptism, you know, you would bring them for Sunday school, and you would kind of go through the motions, and you kind of do it because, you know, that's what you do in your family, it's sort of this cultural Catholicism, which is kind of a plague, on society, but that's another show. But what we're seeing now is that that doesn't matter anymore. You know, parents are so disconnected and unformed by their faith that the children that they're raising now are not just going to come back to the church. They're just going to be gone. Um, And so the the idea is we, we can't just reach kids anymore. We can't just reach the seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old and expect that that's going to make a difference because they're going to go home and there's no faith in the home. They're not seeing it acted out. And so when they, when they grow up, you know, who are, they, who are they going to follow the example of? The person they saw one hour a week or the person they saw for the, the, all the other hours in the week? And if William is here, he would tell me exactly how many hours are in the seven-day week, but I do not know. <laughs> he would so, tell you the minutes. Yes. Well, I know there's 525,600 minutes in a year. Um, I don't know why I know that, but it's for some <laughs> reason. Anyway, okay. So when it comes to... Uh, yes. when it comes Back to, to the crisis. Right. When it comes to the family, I mean, this, this is where the battlefield is. Absolutely. And this is, this is why we need to be looking at models of formation that um, that engage the family. So I want to 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 engage parents, to evangelize to parents so that they can in turn evangelize to their kids because as we know the truth the gospel reveals to us, the church teaches to us that parents are the primary educators and evangelists for their children. They're irreplaceable in that role. Um let's see the Second Vatican Council. They came out with a document called um, the Dogmatic um, 
Constitution of the Church, Lumen Gentium, Light of the Nations, uh, about the Church. And within the church, within that document on the Church, they speak of the family, which is, like I said before, the kernel, the sort of the Church in miniature. They say, to, they say this, the family is, so to speak, the domestic Church. This is where that term is coined. And the quote goes on, In it, in the domestic Church, parents should, by their word and example, be the first preachers of the faith to their children. I mean, this is a weighty responsibility. But, I mean, it's also just, it's almost like an obvious truth. If we are a miniature church, you know, the parents are the ones who proclaim the gospel. They're the ones who are evangelizing, who are building the family, who are growing the church. Um, let's see here. I. It's so hard to choose different um, quotes and pull things from the church's teaching on this because it's so awesome, all of it. But um, let's see here. Listen to this, okay. The witness of Christian life given by parents in the family comes to children with tenderness and parental respect. Okay, this is from the General Directory for Catechesis from the church. It's a document that guides teachers of the faith of which the parents are primary. And it number one, it's saying there, children should be re- treated with respect. So they're not just extensions of us. They are souls that have been entrusted to us. They're individuals with their own stories. And they've been entrusted to us for a time, just for a time. They're in our homes. You know, William is almost five. That means he only has about 13 years left, hopefully, in our home. And then he's on his own. I mean, he's been entrusted to me for a purpose. It's like the parable of the talents. God has given me this soul, this human being. And now, you know, what am I going to do with the soul? So, okay, so you're treating them with parental respect. Then children thus perceive and joyously live the closeness of God and of Jesus made manifest by their parents in such a way that this first Christian experience frequently leaves decisive traces which last throughout life. This childhood religious awakening which takes place in the family is irreplaceable, says the church. That means that means that you could grow up this way. You could become an adult, drift away from your faith, from the church. And you're in your 60s. And yet there's something still from your childhood that you just can't shake. And, you know, I, I remember I was at St. Martin's and I was helping out with uh, adult confirmation. These are adults who weren't confirmed as teenagers and they've come back and they want to be confirmed as adults. And so you kind of walk them through and get them confirmed. And there was one man, he was in his mid-70s, mid-70s in a classroom full of 20-year-olds and this mid-70s, he, he was away from the church his whole life. His parents are long gone. His brothers and sisters are long gone. But you know why he was there? Because of his parents. Because he couldn't shake that image of faith. And I got to stand in the sanctuary and look at this man as he was anointed with oil. And he wept like a child. Because, you know, he... He was finally he was finally home again. He was at the home that he had left. And so the role of a parent in that brief span of 18 to 20 years that we have them with us, 
that can impact the rest of their life in ways that no teacher, no catechist, no priest could ever do. Because our role is irreplaceable. Yes, and the the coming home that you speak of, the doors to that home are always wide open. So if you're listening to this particular show and you're interested in going to that home or just finding out about what the heck it's all about, the doors are always wide open. doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. doesn't matter if you're 75 years old. And uh, But good. All right, so let's take a breath here. These are some pretty strong charges, right? And so naturally, people are going to judge themselves as to this bar we're bringing up, right? Yes. Um, and <laughs> yes. and uh, in a way, all of us sort of fall short of this bar. Um, but it is. It's like this It's this weighty charge uh, of parenthood. And, and it comes up all the time within the liturgy of some of the, especially of the rites of some of these um, sacraments. For instance, it'll come up at a baptism, especially a baptism of an infant. You know, there'll be this like charge to the godparents and to the parents, <clears throat> you know, of, of raising these children in the faith. Yes. Um, in the sacrament of marriage, it comes up. Are, are you willing to uh, be open to life to have children and bring them up in the church? Yes. <clears throat> it's not in the fine print, Mark. It's right there. It's, no, it's out loud. We all hear it. And, and this is, yeah, it's difficult stuff. Um, it's why we have all of this um, formation and catechesis prepping people for sacraments. With the RCIA process, which is the right of Christian initiation of adults, you know, for people who want to be baptized and they go through a process, you know, that is not necessarily about, okay, I, I've heard everything the church has to teach, and I agree. You know, it's more <laughs> of, a, of a personal encounter with Christ, which leads to transformation to the point where you say, I trust you. And, and, and like St. Peter, you say, where else can I go? You exactly. have the words of eternal life. So even though you may not have heard it all, and you may not even um, agree with it all, you're still willing to follow Christ. So mm-hmm. there's that caveat. The other thing I want to say, which I feel like is really important, is that, yes, this is a high bar. Christ says, be perfect, as my Heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, you can't get any more crystal clear than that in terms of the call that we've been given, but we actually cannot do that. The Scripture also says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot do it on our own. We are weak. We cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, it's the Holy Spirit within us that enable us to um, live, our, live our lives in such a way that they are supernatural and, and this sort of heroic faith that can only come from the power of the Spirit. And I, this is really key because if we're the domestic church, you know, it goes the other way too. We could learn about the family by looking at the church. And the soul of the church is the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is what binds us together. It's not our own will that we're all just kind of clasping each other and saying, we are one, we are one. It's the spirit that makes us one. And in the same thing in the domestic church, I could, if I tried to do this on my own, I would fail. We're all imperfect. None of us can live up to the standards. None of us can live up to the obligations. But with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. So, you know, I really want to make that point. It's the Holy Spirit. We don't do it on our own. So, the, the, the last thing I wanted to really bring home here is um, something that I heard once that St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, said, um, you know, and she did so much work in the world to, to ease suffering, to be the hands and feet of Christ, 
this she she was an incredible witness of strength and weakness and humility and uh she did all of this stuff and so people you know would ask her questions they'd ask her you know how can we change the world how can we change our city how can we do this how can we we do what you're doing and she said this incredibly profound thing she said if you want to change the world go home and love your family i mean wow if you want to change the world guys go home and love your wife amen brother so this is Church Dads. Oh, give us a shout out at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com, facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Good stuff, Curtis. Good stuff. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the liturgy. Ooh, I know you Woo! love the liturgy. Get your rubrics out. We're going to talk about love the liturgy. Um, for those joining us outside of the church, this would be we're going to talk about uh, the Catholic math specifically, what the heck we're doing within it. But we have three really unique questions that I think may interest you. So we will be back. Stay with us. Like what you hear? Have a question concerning family, fatherhood, or faith? Email the dads at churchdadspodcast.com at gmail.com Be a part of the discussion as we seek to strengthen our Christian witness in the home. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to Church po- uh, bleh, Church Dads Podcast. Let's try it again, Mark. Okay, yes. Welcome back to Church Dads Podcast. It's the first episode. Uh, by the way, if you're enjoying the show, share it with your friends, your family. We're like Curtis, we're like the apostles. We're spreading to Whoa. all nations. Okay. No, nothing like that. <clears throat> well, we are, in a sense, we are apostles. We have been sent. That's what apostle means to, there's that word. See, interesting word, knowledge. Apostle means those who are sent. But we are not apostles yeah. with a capital A. No, we are, uh, gosh, you are the word guy. That is reserved to the bishop alone, who is the successor of the apostles. Yes, sir. All right, so uh, for this segment, it's kind of fun. We wanted to (laughs) bring up uh, questions. Uh, Now, this may morph into any kind of question you may submit to us. We're happy to answer them. Star Trek questions are also welcome. Star Trek questions. Uh, Leave your Star Trek questions at home, please. No, just kidding. So we thought we would uh, have some fun and... Uh, answer some fairly common questions about the liturgy specifically. So this is the Mass. Uh, what the heck do these Catholics do within it, and why do they do it? So uh, let's just fire them away. What do you think, Curtis? <clears throat> I think I'm ready to hear the questions, Mark. All right. Let's see what Question we got. Question number one for Bachelor number one. <clears throat> no. Uh, question one. <laughs> why... Do some people hold hands during the Our Father? And why do some people not hold hands during the Our Father? Mr. Ketty. Wow. Okay, well, um, you know, part of that is I don't know why, because I can't get into their heads to discover the true intentions. But I think what the question is getting at is the idea that, you know, at the Our Father portion of the Mass, you know, when we all say the Our Father together— Sometimes you'll see parishes all grab hands with one another across the aisles. And sometimes there'll be uh, people who don't hold hands. And it's like, well, what's going on there? Um, Are we supposed to be holding hands? Are we not supposed to be holding hands? Well, the truth is 
that nothing is actually prescribed by the church at that moment. Now, I, I want to preface that by saying that, you know, the Catholic liturgy, and I should just say Christian liturgy historically, you know, is very much ritualistic, if you haven't noticed. You know, there is ritual. We act out um, some of the things that are taking place on the inside. C.S. Lewis said that uh, what our body does, our soul does as well. You know, we are embodied souls. You know, we are physical beings. So we act things out. So postures are very important in the liturgy, especially those postures that are prescribed because it shows that we are one. It shows that we are one family, one people, the one body of Christ. Um, and so, Temples of the Holy Spirit. Temple, A temple of the Holy Spirit, singular, and temples of the Holy Spirit, plural, yes. So, you know, when we gather together for Mass, posture is very important. Now, at this moment of the Our Father, there is no posture prescribed other than standing, because we are resurrected people. So, we stand for the Our Father, and we all speak the words together, which is a sign of unity. That said, I always have a tiny however. You know, if you're ever in doubt as to what posture you should be having in terms of the liturgy, uh, you can look at the deacon. If you have a deacon celebrating Mass um, with the priest, the deacon really is, um, in a way that the uh, the priest is certainly our representative, and also Christ's representative, but the deacon is very much of the people. Like, he is... uh, he. He sort of represents our role. Um, he leads our role, and the priest has his role. So if you're ever in doubt of a posture, you can look at the deacon and say, what, he, what is he doing? And during the Our Father, it's telling, because the, the priest, the celebrant, will often be in the Oran's posture. This is one of the most ancient postures of prayer in the church. We see it in inscriptions on walls way back in the, the first centuries of the church, and that's just with hands sort of open and raised slightly in prayer, like open hands, and that's what the celebrant is doing. But you look at the deacon, and the deacon has hands um, together, folded together in prayer, that classic um, prayer posture. And that's because um, in feudal times, back with knights and lords, when you offer your service as a, as a servant to a lord, you would give him your hands and that Lord would grasp your hands in his, representing the fact that now all of your work was for that Lord, that you your work belonged to him, was done in his name. And so when we pray with our folded hands, you have to imagine that you're placing them in God's hands and saying that everything that I do, you know, is in your hands. Your will be done. So if it, if I was going to make an argument for a posture, I would do the, the posture of the deacon, that folded hands, because that the sign of unity really comes next, which is the sign of the peace, the giving of the peace, which follows the Our Father. And really, if you look at the Mass as a whole, which I think you should, to see the progression, we begin as being assembled together, confessing our sins, hearing the Word of God, praying together, and then, you know, we bow down our knees, we... Um, we pray to our Father, we give each other a sign of peace, and then finally we reach the climax of unity when we receive our Lord in Holy Communion and we become one with Him and with each other. I mean, that is the ultimate sign of unity. And again, like I said earlier in the show, it, unity is not something that we muster up for ourselves. It's not like, now we're holding hands, we're one. It's like we don't make ourselves one. We, we are made one. And so I think that that's expressed in the Eucharist 
much more clearly and beautifully and theologically sound than merely holding hands. Plus, you know, sometimes people don't want to hold hands. So are we really one? It's like, that guy's not holding my hand. Is he not one (laughs) with me? So it could cause confusion. But I think at the end of the day, simple answer is do whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you what you have to do at that moment because the church has not said. Um, But I, I would... That said, I would tell you to no. You, you, I've given you my argument for the different postures. You could also just stand there. You don't need to do anything and just pray the Our Father, and uh, that'd be fine too. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Ooh, two questions. Mm, actually, we have three. But here's question number two, Mister Ketty. Uh, why do so many people leave church as soon as they receive communion? Oh, uh, once again. So once They've again, just received, and they're out the door. I really wish I could be in their heads to know what's going through their heads. Um, but I guess it's because they weren't properly formed in their faith about what the Mass is all about. And, uh, you know, you don't want to judge those people because there's lots of different reasons why you need to leave early. For example, I have a screaming two-year-old that I need to go out and change the diaper of or whatever. Um, so there's lots of different reasons. That said, let me encourage everyone to stay <laughs> because the word mass, wow, another word? Yes, the word mass means to be sent forth. That's where we get words like mission, okay? Dismiss comes from the same Latin, misa, which is where we get mass. It means to be sent forth. The entire point of the mass is at the very end when we are dismissed. That is what everything is leading up to. We receive the Eucharist, not as an end in and of itself, but as a means to an end, which is to be sent into the world to be the body of Christ. So, okay, so when you leave early after you receive communion, you are missing the point of Mass because we receive communion in order to be sent forth. You can't just duck out. A professor that I knew once said that uh, we saw some people leaving Mass early. He said, ah, they're doing the Judas shuffle. (laughs) Which I always thought was funny because, of course, the very first person to leave Mass early was Judas. And he went out and it was night. (laughs) So, you know, we need to to remember um, why we're there. And it's not only to receive our Lord in the Eucharist, but it's to be transformed into the body of Christ and be sent out into the world. Stick around, yeah, for the end of Mass. It's a great time. Question number three. Oh, there's a third question. Yes. The seasons, this is about the liturgical seasons now. We're in ordinary time right now. The seasons of Christmas and Easter have such joyful titles. Why do we refer to the current season as ordinary time? Do you like my do you like my delivery there? Ordinary time. Do Christmas and Easter are those really joyful titles? Um well, okay. Mark, you know what I'm going to say. <clears throat> what am I going to say, Mark? Well, you could say a lot of things. Um well, let me say this. I would probably say to let's I do youth ministry. So so a youth person came up to me and asked me that question, I'd say, "Well, hold on. Every Sunday is really like an Easter. Every Sunday is really like a little Easter. Yeah. In a way, if you follow me. No, it's true. It's but true. you know, I would also mention that the the word ordinary in ordinary time is it's getting hey, a bad rep. It's got all a bad right. Rep. We're gonna hear about a so, word, people. 
Yes, another word. Ordinary. Of course, today in our language and culture, ordinary is just that, a very ordinary word. There's nothing, um, you know, there's nothing uh, colorful Special. about it. Yeah. But this is not what we're talking about when we're talking about ordinary time within the church, the liturgical year. It, it's, it comes from the Latin tempus ordinarium. Okay, Woo! so easy now, easy Nice. Now. Uh, more words, I know. I told you, you'd be proud of me. So, but it, it's not so much to be thought of as ordinary, like normal and plain, as it's supposed to be thought of as, like, say, ordered time, or ah. me- maybe maybe measured time. Yes. Or even, how about, like, counted time? Okay, so it's not that we're just in, like, a drudge of ordinary but we're in an ordered time where we need a certain amount of Sundays that go between different liturgical seasons. I'll let you take your thoughts there. Okay, well, yeah. In, in fact, I would say that maybe we would understand ordinary time better if we counted backwards. So if, like, last week was the 13th Sunday of ordinary time, and this week is the 12th Sunday, and then the 11th Sunday, because it gives an idea in our culture of what um, ordered means, because we are really ordered towards something. Something is about to happen. And it's like almost a countdown. We're part of a story. And where where does the liturgical year end? It ends with Christ the King, which is that he comes in glory to end all things. Like time comes to an end and everything is restored. It's the end of all things and the beginning of all things. So ordinary time is really marching steadily towards the end of the world. You know, we are living out the entire age of the church. In ordinary time. I love it. I love it. Yep. Excellent. Well, those are our questions. What do you think about question and answer time? Isn't that fun? That was fun. I want more questions, and I want questions that don't have to deal with the inner thoughts of a human being. But like, <laughs> <laughs> so please submit your questions. And yes, I will answer questions about any of the Star Trek television shows. I re- prefer not to talk about Discovery. That is a, a show I do not want to speak of. It is a show that must not be named. But all the other shows, I'd be happy to talk about. So please, and and also J.R.R. Tolkien, right, Mark? We'd be ha- and movie soundtracks. Mm-hmm. We'd be happy to answer mm-hmm. any questions about movie yes. soundtracks. That's one mm-hmm. thing that we we love both of us. Yes, we do. We'll set yeah. the record straight. By the way, your glasses are low on your nose. Can you fix? Oh, that? let me just <laughs> fix my glasses. Thank you. you. Yes. Good. Yes. We hope for you all to be a part of this for the questions and for the comments. Share a story with us about fatherhood. We'd be happy to share it um, on this show. Where do we send our questions? Great question, Curtis. Go to churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and click send anything you like. Anonymously, you could specify or not. You could also, you could also put any, like an article or a video, uh, any of those things that you think would be interesting for us to talk about, you could put that on our Facebook page, and you know we could all look at that and maybe talk about that too. So, um, yeah, we really yes. want you to be as involved as possible. Can't just be Mark and I because it's going to get weird fast if it's just Mark. Yes, and I. absolutely, and it's not just for dads, moms, uh, brothers, sisters, uncles, and second uh, cousins. Yes, Curtis is waiting for second cousins. So this is a show for everybody. Certainly, we want to give encouragement to our brother dads out there, um, as we certainly need it. So um, anyway, I hope this was a good show. Wasn't this fun, Curtis? We should do more of this. It was more fun than I expected it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless you. Bless you, Amy. I'm an introvert by nature. This is not 
my happy place, but I'm really glad to be with you all one-on-one. I'm just imagining that I'm sitting with you one-on-one. That's right. Good. All right. Well, contact us. Uh, reach out to us. Follow, like, do all those things. Don't, but don't use your phone too much because it can be addictive. And uh, we'll come back to you next time, possibly with an interviewer, interviewee. We want to have people on the show, so we're going to bring some yeah, people we're gonna have to a guest. you. We're going to do all kinds of fun things. So stick with us. Um, this will be a July second show. We'll be back as well in August and for months to come maybe if we like yeah. this if we decide eh, we'll, we'll see but we'll no. do it we'll do another one at least hey and everybody go home and love your family amen all right from the dads we'll see you next time church dads is a regular podcast hosted by mark haas and curtis Ketty. join the discussion by emailing the dads at church dads podcast at gmail.com and follow them on Facebook facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast Want to change the world? Go home and love your family.